when we face death, when survival is a real survival, we rise. Naturally we rise, we do find the power. And it's so tremendous that other people can draw this power from us. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. This is not a race, this is war. I said to myself, what does one wear to a homicide? Hey, it's Mikey from the Goonies. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today we have Amazon survivor and the inspiration behind the film Jungle, Yossi Ginsberg, as he shares his story of survival in the Amazon, his impressions of being played by Daniel Radcliffe, a.k.a. Harry Potter, and what he discovered about the true meaning of life. Yossi Ginsberg. So if you are looking at this guy, if you're thinking about him, just picture the most interesting man in the world. So this is, that's who this guy is. He speaks seven languages. He knows parts of a whole lot more. He's comfortable in just about any situation. Uh, it's kind of funny how they, you know, you want a really big star. A lot of times a star looks like the person. Sometimes it doesn't. This one, there's, it's a very big discrepancy. You know, Yossi walks into a room and he's often the tallest person in the room. He's just kind of got that grizzled, I've been through a whole lot of life type of look, but I'm still cool with it. And he just, just kind of this fascinating guy. Like this is an amazing story. It's just one stop in his journey. When talking to Yosi, I had to ask him, you know, what were your thoughts of having this megastar, this huge person, Daniel Radcliffe known all over the world? What was it like having him play you in the film? Look, first of all, I'm, you know, I'm so honored because he's, uh, he's an iconic figure, you know? Like yeah. I think if they make a time capsule of this century, um, he will be in, you know, yes. I mean, Harry Potter for sure. So, and he's a great actor, so I'm, I'm honored. Um, he's doing also a great job as an actor, but I don't think he plays me. I don't think when I see the movie, it's not me. He's playing my character, <laughs> he's following the storyline, but I cannot identify, even though, uh, you know, he interviewed me for many hours, and he asked a list of what music I was listening to, which books I was reading at the time when I was uh, uh, 22. He had a coach, a, a diction coach, you know, to, to, to grasp the accent. But somehow I don't identify with that character as me. Maybe it's a protection mechanism of my own, you know, because this, the movie is uh, such an externalization of, of my story. It's a process that took a lot for me just to let go. So maybe it's part of the, of the let go. But as I say, he's doing a great job. It does follow the storyline and it's very powerful. Uh, for those listening, we got to cheat a little bit and watch a, a couple of the scenes from the movie. And it's just, it just looks amazing. And so take us back to that time. How did you decide to go down there and what made you go on this specific adventure into the Amazon with a couple of friends and a, uh, and a guide? Well, I say never underestimate the power of a naive dreamer because <laughs> <laughs> you got to be naive to be a dreamer. You know, if you're a skeptic, then your dreaming is escapism because ah, it will never happen. So it's escapism. You dream, but you'll never try. Escapism is a bad form of dreaming. And the naive dreamer is one that is bright eyed and has no choice, but you know, his heart is going for it. And, and I say, you know, like when, when I have a dream, I don't say I have a dream. I say the dream as me. The moment I have a dream, I start working for the dream. And this was the case. This was an obsession for many years. I read many adventure books and I got fascinated with the Amazon, but it was much more specific. 
I had a plan, and the plan was based on a book I read that is called Papillon by Henri Charrier. In this book uh, is a prisoner in the Devil's Island, and he manages to escape, and he's washed to the shores of Venezuela. Um, escaping into the forest, is found by a tribe, and is adopted by the tribe. And the chief likes him, so he offers his daughter. So he marries the chief's daughter. Her sister gets really upset, so he marries the sister as well. So there he is in the middle of the Amazon, married to the two beautiful daughters of the chief, <laughs> finding gold and pearls and all that. I said, this is, I'm going to do that. But I was serious. I was so naive. I was serious. So when you have a dream, you know, there's also like obstacles. I had to... Once I, I was released from the military service, because we do mandatory three years, I was 21. I worked for a year just to save enough money so I can travel. I, I got to South America. I traveled for another year. Finally, I found my adventure in the form of an Austrian geologist in the streets of La Paz that offered me to join him in, into the Uncharted to encounter a tribe that was never explored to culture before, the Toromonas, and to find gold in the river. Of course, when somebody tells you your own dream, what can you do but follow them? He was a con artist. This was uh, not true, but I didn't know that. And two of my friends joined me, and this has turned to a bigger-than-life misadventure. Two of us never came back. One is the guide, actually. The Austrian never came back. Nor my best friend at the time, the Swiss uh, um, backpackers that traveled with me. So that's what brought me there. I would say... My life was saved by, by, by my friend, the only one of us that made it out. But his life was saved by indigenous people that came back with him to save me. I went back to this indigenous people, the only tribe that lives in that remote part of the world. And in the end, I realized my dream. I became one of the tribe. I found riches, not of gold, but much more than that. I, I understood what the diversity means to the world. I got married in the Amazon. I brought my own wife, not the daughter of the chief. I brought the, I brought the wife with me, but I did get married in the middle of the Amazon in a shamanic uh, ritual with lots of indigenous people in deep, deep in the Amazon. So when you really, you know, you go for your dream, in the end life uh, helps you. But there's a lot of obstacles on the way. What are a couple of the challenges that you faced while you were alone in the Amazon? I think the word alone is the main challenge. This was the biggest one, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that was my also biggest realization, how much we are social, you know, how much, you know. And till this day, I'm telling you, my assets are my friends. That's my richness in life is, is, is friendship. Uh, this was the most difficult, you know, the first thing was survival food and protection, Jaguar. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like the need, the need was human contact, mm -hmm. you know. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about sex or something like that. It was just companionship, you know. I, I was hallucinating all the time, but I never hallucinating about sex. I just hallucinated about food and companionship. So I guess those are very, very deep basic needs. And the one is, of course, just uh, substance, but immediately after substance is a connection, human connection. Um, and there was no way out of that uh, loneliness. And the only thing I could do is actually hallucinate. Again, the power of dreaming, the power of imagining. Uh, I didn't sleep for 20 days, uh, and not even one night. For the 20 nights that I spent there, not even one night I slept. So my only way to recover and to regenerate and to rest 
um, was to actually hallucinate because it allowed me to rest. So I would hallucinate all the time. I was already 15 days alone when a flood took me. I escaped the flood to the hills. Uh, two days later, after the flood receded, I was in a very bad shape. I was already crawling on my elbows and knees. An airplane passed in the sky. When I heard this plane, I understood it searching for me, but the flood pushed me deep under the canopy and I was running and screaming and the airplane just totally oblivious mm. left me. And something snapped inside of me and I just collapsed and I cried and cried and then, you know, I started praying and I, I gave up. I said, please God, just let me, let me die. I don't want to... Totally gave up. So it was a relief in giving up. At that moment, it's the most unbelievable thing, somebody started crying next to me. So I'm lying there in the mud and I hear somebody's like sobbing next to me and this is impossible, I'm alone. But somebody's there crying and it's so weird. But I hear it that I raise my head and I look. I can't believe it, there's a woman next to me in the mud. I jumped on my feet and when I see her, I have like an understanding now, like the airplane may come back. We cannot afford wasting time. So I start screaming at her, get up, get up. And I pull her from the mud and I start running for, you know, searching for like to, to, to find an opening so the, the airplane can see us. So I'm pulling her and running with her. For two days, nonstop, I'm talking to this girl, taking care of her. At the, Two days later at night, I'm finding myself making her a place to sleep next to me. Not in my head, under the tree. Now I'm injured. I'm one big open wound. I, I haven't eaten, you know, since the flood, nothing. I'm basically just skin hanging over bone. And I'm making the effort to make a camp for two people, breaking palm fronds and calling her next to me. And then I see there's nobody there. I, I, what I want to tell you, Brian, is that as opposed to my hallucinations that were, were my imagination that I used, this wasn't my hallucination. I didn't make it up. I, it wasn't me. So I don't know who created this girl. If she was imagination, I cannot take ownership of that because it just came to me. And I don't know what to make of it. What I know is that she saved my life. She did save my life because I gave up on life. But the way she saved my life is genius. She didn't come to help me. She needed my help. What saved my life was that somebody else needed my help. So how amazing it is. You know, I couldn't do anything for myself. But the moment somebody needed me, I suddenly found the power to get up and help her. You know, and that's I understood something about life. Power is given when you give it. There was no morning that I wouldn't see the powers of jaguars around the place where I slept. They were around me every night. Now I had no fire, I had no gun, I had no knife, and I couldn't sleep. And I know the jaguars are walking there. My only way to deal with it was just escape by hallucination, just to avoid them. But on the sixth night, you know, like somebody, some, something was just breaking, you know, I heard something moving next to me. At that stage, you know, like I found a few things in the river, like one of the bags. In, in that bag, there was a mosquito repellent, there was like a, a mosquito net, and also a, a lighter. So I slept with the lighter and the mosquito repellent as my weapon. That was my only weapon, because I knew I, could, I can set it on fire. And I had also a very faint 
dying um, flashlight. So I put the flashlight on a couple of times and then I see the cat, you know, like a big cat, just maybe about six yards from me. And, you know, I panicked. But then I managed to put the, you know, the, the, the flashlight in my, in my mouth and I just took the can and I just sprayed at it, you know, like sprayed fire at it and I managed to chase it away, you know. I don't know how I survived the Jaguars. I don't know because they were there and it was a very tough rainy season. There are many miracles in this story. You know, like I, I say about this, Brian, that the miracles that I saw, they didn't have time to put the veil. I, I just saw the miracles happening. It's not just coincidence, you know. I wasn't supposed to die. I wasn't supposed to die, you know, like something. And I never um, rationalized that. I never say, oh, no, it's a state of mind. No. Uh, and in, in that sense, I found my faith as well. Now, obviously, your story is, is so unique. Going through the Amazon, being alone, fighting off, you know, jaguars. and So how does someone who is not experiencing that, what do they take away from your story? When people come up to you or email you afterwards, what, what do they take away from it? Like, how do you know that this is hitting home with them? Well, I tell you, because, you know, I wasn't a, an extreme sport person. I wasn't like a... I was just a, a, a guy, you know. I didn't think of myself as able to survive that. I was actually sure that I will die a terrible, miserable, torturous death. I didn't have what it takes. That was my, you know, that's the state of mind that I was in. The elements were too, you know, too big and mighty. And the circumstances were the worst possible circumstances, you know, like in the midst of, of a, a terrible rainy season alone, so far from civilization, hundreds of miles away from civilization. You know, when, when you lose everything, maybe you lose also the self-doubt and the un inadequacy and self-unworthiness un that sometimes we feel towards ourselves. And the truth is that we are not in survival situation. We are victims of non-survival. That's mm -hmm. the, when people are in survival situations, they rise. I tell you, my story is exotic. But my ex-wife, she was going through birth cancer and she was going through chemotherapy and radiation. And you know what? The entire family leaned on her, not supported her, leaned on her. When she faced all that, she rose so big. Because when we face death, when survival is a real survival, we rise. Naturally, we rise. We do find the power. And it's so tremendous that other people can draw this power from us, you know. This is the secret of survival. Survival empowers us. Survival is the meaning of life. It's actually the true meaning of life. It's survival. Because what are we doing here? We're here to hang on every single breath. That's the purpose of life. It's preservation. It's the purpose. It's sacred purpose. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. & Associates. 
Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Yount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast? <laughs>